Voices of experience come in many forms and from many people. Here's a voice I suspect you'll quickly recognize sharing some unique holiday spirit as we open December's Voices of Experience. Twas the night before my speaking tour and all through the house were suitcases and travel bags lying about. My phone started ringing and making a clatter. I picked it right up to see what was the matter. I said, hello, who could this be? It was a jolly old speaker with lots of unsolicited advice just for me. On the first day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me a sappy poem for my keynote speech. On the second day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me two power gestures and a sappy poem for my keynote speech. On the third day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me three high point bags, two power gestures, and a sappy poem for my keynote speech. On the fourth day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me four constructive criticisms, three high point bags, two power gestures, and a sappy poem for my keynote speech. On the fifth day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me five humble brags, four constructive criticisms, three high point bags, two power gestures, and a sappy poem for my keynote speech. On the sixth day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me six overused metaphors, five humble brags, Four constructive criticisms, three high point bags, two power gestures, and a sappy poem for my keynote speech. On the seventh day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me seven links to his ebook, six overused metaphors, five humble brags, four constructive criticisms, three high point bags, two power gestures, and a sappy poem for my keynote speech. On the eighth day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me eight five-star book reviews, seven links to his ebook, six overused metaphors, five humble brags, four constructive criticisms, three high point bags, two power gestures, and a sappy poem for my keynote speech. On the ninth day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me nine hours of life coaching, Eight five-star book reviews, seven links to his ebook, six overused metaphors, five humble brags, four constructive criticisms, three high point bags, two power gestures, and a sappy poem for my keynote speech. On the tenth day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me ten starfish references. Nine hours of life coaching, eight five-star book reviews, seven links to his ebook, six overused metaphors, five humble brags, four constructive criticisms, three high point bags, two power gestures, and a sappy poem for my keynote speech. On the eleventh day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me eleven retweets. Ten starfish references, nine hours of life coaching, eight five-star book reviews, seven links to its ebook, six overused metaphors, five humble brags, 
Four constructive criticisms, three high point bags, two power gestures, and a sappy poem for my keynote speech. On the twelfth day of the speaking tour, a speaker gave to me twelve made-up statistics, eleven retweets, ten starfish references, nine hours of life coaching, eight five-star book reviews, seven links to his ebook, six overused metaphors, five humble brags. Four constructive criticisms, three high point bags, two power gestures, and a sappy poem for my keynote speech. Last month, June Han provided some incredible information in November's VOE, but part two of my interview with June may just literally make your 2019. So you might want to take some notes with the amazing information that June shares with us. Here's June. You said, as I understand, mm -hmm. that there are certain budgets within yeah. companies that often we as speakers don't think about oh, or man. tap. Yeah. Talk to us about that. Right. So I, I'll tell you, it, these are these happy accidents in life when you just say yes to relationships and whatnot. So I'm sitting on this board, and you know, there's all these sponsors from uh, you know, Chase, Bank, AT&T, Verizon. And again, the, the Verizon woman, um, you know, she's in charge of their foundations. That's why she's on this board. What's a, what's a Verizon foundation? Well, I mean, every Fortune 500 company is trying to get rid of some tax burden, right? And so they have these foundations that are, I mean, for all sorts and purposes, unlimited piles of money. Now, they'll never go on record saying this, but a Fortune 500 company would prefer to use its foundation money to accomplish marketing goals. Okay. Right? Sure. I mean, it's, just, it's, a, it's a business. It makes business sense. Absolutely. That. And, sure. and, and what they're under the gun for is that the IRS is like, listen, we know what you're doing, but at least just spend the money. And so every year, these foundations need to, need to spend not just like one or two million, like hundreds of million dollars a year. But the problem is, uh, most people asking for money is like the local schools asking for like $300 or $5,000 for this, the ballet or something like that. That doesn't move the needle for them. I mean, in a cynical view, I'll tell you I'm a cynical guy, I'm Gen X. You know, it's like they're, they're, they're going to do something bad one day. And they're going to need a picture that says, preferably women holding up a giant check with lots of numbers behind it with like, you know, um, different uh, diverse looking kids, right? right? Like if that check says $5,000, that doesn't really protect you from whatever you just did. Right. Right. Now, th now th this is my cynical take on what they're doing. Now they'll tell you they all have a mission, you know, like in San Diego, Qualcomm's a big one and they really go on education STEM because that's kind of their thing, right? right. Um, and Verizon uh, has some you know, different things and like for instance, Kaiser Permanente is health related. Right. right? So anyway, she's with the Verizon Foundation, so I'm realizing this is a huge chunk of money. And she said, you know, uh, she listened to my podcast and this is the thing. She came back to me a week later through email. She's like, June, I, I watched all of your episodes. And I, I haven't watched all my episodes, right? But that's <laughs> one of the beauties of podcasting is that, and now it's um, more of a catchphrase because of Netflix, the binge, bingeability or binging, right. right? Absolutely. So she did that six years ago. She saw everything. She's like, June, we're, um, we want to support these uh, nonprofit organizations, but these conferences don't really have budget to get like a great speaker. So can our foundation pay you to speak at these conferences. So just to make this clear, Verizon's already sponsoring this conference. Right. And they're like a title sponsor or whatever, but they would like to say Verizon's specifically sponsoring this keynote speech. And then that's me. Right. Right. So it's coming from their foundation money, which is technically they're accomplishing marketing goals 
right. what's coming out of their foundation right. thing. Right? And so again, I see it, it's, a, it's almost a limitless pile of money because they need to spend $100 million a year because they're putting in close to that every year, right? And then through that, I learned, so, so this is interesting, I never got a check from Verizon in three years. I did probably eight, eight speaking engagements you know, a, a year, and I never got a check from them. I got a check from their foundation, or uh, there's another pool of money called supplier diversity money. So every Fortune 500 company, anyone basically, even government entities that get money from the federal government, are required to, like there's a quota. The government would like them to say 20% of their vendors, like t-shirts, landscaping, you know, painting, um, IT services, HR training, that kind of stuff, 20% of that needs to go to small businesses. Right. Right. Now, of that 20%, this is the order the government would prefer that money go. They would prefer that it would go to the dis disabled veteran first. If you're a disabled veteran, you know, which most people, unless you're a triathlete, when you go through boot camp, you end up on the other end being fairly, you know, disabled in one category technically. So they would, the government would prefer that 20%. They would prefer 100% of that 20% would go to disabled veterans. Less than 1% currently goes to disabled veterans. Disabled veterans is the first thing. Native Americans are second one. Then, um, uh, ethnic minority like women, then ethnic minority, but then just small business, period, okay. right? So I was getting checks from the foundation, and then I was getting checks from a marketing company in Seattle, which I had never been a part of, right? right? But what it was is Verizon had a diversity contract with that marketing company. I see. And the more money they used to that marketing company, it counts towards their supplier diversity, the percentage. Right. that they're using, right? So oftentimes what uh, Fortune 500 companies will do is they'll find, um, say you are an HR person, and they'll say, you know, Chuck, here's the thing. Right now you offer like productivity stuff. We would love to grow your contract. Do you happen to offer like um, leadership training? And if you say no, they would say, it would really be great if you offered leadership training because you're already, you've already gone through our certification. Right. You already count towards our quota. Right. We'd love to grow our pie with you. Right. If you would add that, you know, so we have a client that started out just doing like custom software, like app kind of stuff. And now they do IT, web development. They do all these other services that this, this guy, when he started his company, never thought he would be in the business of doing. Right. But now they're doing like $20 million a year just off of one Fortune 500 company that said, hey, could you do this too? Right. We love you. Could you do this? And he's like, Gene, what do I do? Hire someone that does that, man, because they're saying you're already in the pipeline. So the, um, if you work the Fortune 500, that approval process is a lot more expedited than if you went to like every community college district, every city entity, they all have the same contracting requirements. 20% gotcha. small business, whatnot. But as you can imagine, when you go through a government or military entity, it's a little more convoluted. Absolutely. Right? Whereas Fortune 500, they can fast track because the government can't necessarily tell them what their process is. Right. Right. And you know how I learned most of this? I learned it from my Verizon contact and then I just like, I just interviewed people like you know at Sony or Qualcomm. Hey, can we go out to lunch? You're the supplier diversity officer. Can you tell me what contract you're looking for? And I remember walking in just as like a consultant, right? Walking in going, there's just two unlimited chunks of money that no one knows about. And that's actually the problem is the government would like people to know more about this to win that 20%. You know, so there you can look up, you can look up uh, the report card and almost every company is not hitting that 20%. Wow. It's sad. Because it's a great legislation that's supposed to be just and and putting small businesses first, but. <laughs> June, I have this real, I, I, I have this mindset right now that people that are listening to this, right. or potentially watching it, but especially right. those listening yeah. to it, are yeah. like wheel spinning, yeah, 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 thinking, yeah. Yeah. how do I do this? Right. 
and I don't know that we have the time to get into that. Right, right. Peeling that. And there's a whole like nonprofit marketing strategy as well, you know. But awesomeguest.com yep. is your website, yep. and I am sure that you would be delighted to talk with someone yep, absolutely. and see where kind of that goes because you, you've given us two things that are very concrete yep. that as people who deliver content, we need to know yep. and we need to be able to apply. Absolutely. June, thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. It's been great having yeah. you as a guest on VOE. Thank you, thank you. We are living in a great time, a time of economic prosperity, yet many of us recognize that the economy, just like the ocean, can be cyclical. The tide goes in and, well, the tide goes out. So as we end 2018, if we're smart, we are preparing for that time when the economy might just take a shift in a negative direction. My guest is Karen Jacobson, and she reminds us that when life takes us in directions we might not anticipate, we can always recalculate. My guest is the GPS girl, Karen Jacobson. <laughs> Karen, it's, it, okay, first, it's always a delight to talk with you because your voice mesmerizes me. I'm so glad. So I'm going to ask everyone who's not driving, driving right now to close their eyes. Close your eyes. Okay. At the next intersection, turn left. Okay, you can open your eyes now. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is just... Don't do that if you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so wait a minute. Let's just, people may know this, but I'm sure there are a number of folks listening that don't. How did that come about? Well, I am a singer and songwriter. Originally, as you can tell from my accent, from Australia. And I moved to New York City, which was a lifelong dream to live in America and pursue music. And I got an audition. And the client was looking for a native Australian female voiceover artist living in the northeast of the United States. And I went to the audition. I got the job. I recorded for 50 hours, 5-0, to create a text-to-speech voice system that ultimately has ended up in over a billion GPS, smartphone devices, elevators, cruise ships, software applications around the world telling people where to go and what to do while I'm sitting here with you. You know, you probably are one of the few people that I know that have been paid and has the joy of knowing that you've told so many people what to do. I, well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, some people close to me would say, well, that fits, Karen, because you're very bossy. And I am bossy, but I'm bossy because I want the best for people. And I'm very solution-oriented, and when I can see a way to improve things, I want to share it. And I have to really watch that I'm not giving unsolicited advice, because I am bossy. Okay, so you may call it bossy, but I have to say, in one of the other VOE interviews, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Weinstein said that one of the things he loves about you is not that you talk about the problems, but that you're always looking to bring solutions. Oh my goodness, I am. I'm really solution-oriented. I got that, I think, specifically from my mother, who is really solution-oriented. And when something happens, which it does to all of us, that it doesn't go as planned, I learned from her to, okay, well, that's how it is. Now, how do we move forward? How do we make the best of it? What, what are we going to do next? And I think as speakers, if we can stay in that space when we are dealing with change, which we're all dealing with, we're, we're in a time of, we've heard about speed of change and, and rapid, rapid change. If we can keep um, 
evening ourselves out rather than going into this dramatic uh, place emotionally as well and, and be able to stop and go, okay, I've noticed that things are not going the way I want them to go. What now? What, what even very small action can I take now? I think that helps, helps prevent us from going down that negative emotional spiral and taking ourselves out of the game. Help us as speakers think about some of the things that we might need to think about in terms of navigating the change that's taking place within the industry or that could be taking place within our businesses. I think confidence is a big piece. And why I choose that word is I, I have been through, as we all have, periods of quiet and not, a, not as much business as I would like, perhaps not my perfect fit clients that I would like to have showing up. And it can, uh, I can be derailed sometimes during those times. And what I'm learning now to do or I have practicing is being able to stay in that even spot and to be confident enough to say, okay, my business model might need a tweak. My weekly, daily practices or directions, what I'm doing on a monthly basis in terms of marketing, in terms of outreach, perhaps that needs a shift. Perhaps I need to create something new, a new book, a new uh, audio book, a new uh, video, what a new tool or a piece of materials in, of some kind. But I'm the person everybody, every buyer is going to look to for the confidence that I can deliver when I get out there to the event or with my client. So if that confidence in what I'm up to is missing, people can feel it, they can see it, it is, it's palpable. So one of my main priorities during a time like that is to find my center again and to be able to say, okay, what do I know? I know that I talk about navigating change. I get out there on stage and I know I'm gonna nail it. I incorporate music into my presentations. I'm gonna help the audience have a great time and leave knowing it is never too late to recalculate. They will never listen to their GPS the same way again. Like I, I have to bring myself to this baseline of this, this is what I know. Now, this isn't working as well as we would like it to be working or I don't have the volume of bookings or whatever I might be dealing with and from this place of really remembering who I am, what I bring, the outcomes I can deliver to my clients, now what tweak uh, do I have the control over making in my marketing uh, plan or my business practices so that I can move things forward. And, and as speakers, I, I mean, I think we're such emotionally invested people because we are in many, in many, uh, in many ways the product. Right. Um, you know, we're not selling a machine or a, a photocopier, that's not a great example, but we are selling ourselves and it is very challenging to not be very personal about it. But I think it, during those times to actually get very clear and very centered, tweak one of those aspects of what we're doing in terms of marketing or, um, or outcomes for our clients and then proceed again by taking action in one of those areas. Let's pull the curtains back just a little bit on Karen's business and what are the types of things that you do to market you? From a very uh, early stage as an independent singer-songwriter and musician in my late teens and my early 20s, I did find I had an affinity for connecting the dots in terms of marketing and you know having a song as basically as basic as having a song called um, 
London town and then reaching out to you know connections in England and London and the city of London and, and wanting that song to have a home there having a song called Strong Woman and reaching out specifically to conferences and events which had the word women in it or there was a strong woman summit in the northeast and I cold called them and they booked me and I went and traveled to their conference and, and sang there so I've had reasonable success with cold calling over time because I and a natural I think affinity for connecting those dots right and I think we think it's harder than it really is and I would, when we talk about marketing and, and the hook, which was my answer to your question, I believe everyone has a, an incredibly strong hook. It's right in front of them and they may not even see it. And it could be something very basic and very simple. And it, your voice doesn't have to be in a billion devices around the world uh, giving directions. But there is something about you that you love that is, makes you very unique, maybe even as a human being and not as a speaker, that you can tie in and relate and have it be a very attractive hook in the way you present and market yourself and make yourself visible. If you were going to give two pieces of advice, what would you say, oh my goodness, don't do this, I tried it, <laughs> probably I shouldn't have done that. Or what piece of advice would you give that said, by all means, this is what you should do? Oh, Tough question, huh? It's fantastic, though. Uh, I came from the entertainment world in a country, in Australia, where there, the, the number of opportunities, or big opportunities, were far reduced from the number of big opportunities uh, in a country like the United States. So when something, an opportunity would arise in Australia, there would be a reasonably small, uh, a, re a reasonable group of, let's say, female singer-songwriters who might be able to uh, apply for that particular opportunity or be considered for it. And they, they didn't come along as often as they do here, so it was very difficult to feel like you were missing out on an opportunity because we didn't know when the next big opportunity might come. Um, in the United States, so much more opportunity, but still that feeling of, uh, I guess, like it's a lottery. Like, is your number going to come up and are you the one who's going to get to, to take that ride? Major difference with the speaking business and something it took me a little while to get used to but makes me so happy is that most, many, many organisations and associations have an event, at least one event a year. Some have it every two years. But in the United States, most are having a national event once well, a year sure. plus. If I'm in consideration for you know a, a speaking slot as an opening or a closing keynote or a breakout, whatever it might be, and I am not chosen that year, guess what? <laughs> it's all going to happen again next year, and I'm on the radar of that particular client. Um, not only that, and this is kind of as, as I've progressed and become busier on my calendar, if there's a clash and I'm already booked and somebody wants me on that date, in the past I would have just been mortified to think, I, I, I can't do them both. Again, now it's like, they're going to have an event next year. It's okay. So that panic um, has subsided, certainly for me. That's a very big difference. So I, and I think that that can exist even for speakers. And I would say that if you are unavailable, it's okay. 
start having the conversation about next year right now and say, look, I would love to pencil this date in for next year if that will work for you. I would love to be able to be in two places at once. And many speakers may already do this, but I, I know for myself when I discovered that that was an approach, I was pretty excited. Karen Jacobson, the GPS girl, I want to thank you for two things. Number one, for being very kind and gentle on GPS <laughs> when I completely screw up and I have to recalculate. Excellent. And secondarily, thank you for your leadership in NSA because it is seen, it is visible, and it is greatly appreciated. My pleasure, and you have reached your destination. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now another edition of What's Happening. Hi everybody, Meredith Oliver back with another What's Happening. And this time I am joined by Mark Pittman. Mark is with Concord Leadership Group. And where are you out of again, Mark? Based out of Greenville, South Carolina. Greenville, South Carolina. Just south of me, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. So it's good to have another Carolina friend here today. Yeah, so Mark, tell us about your app recommendation and why you like it. Well, the app I'm really excited about is Untapped, U-N-T-A-P-P-D. So is this like uh, your untapped potential, <laughs> untapping your leadership style, I'm untapping your, your financial wealth? Wow, I should have gotten those apps too. This is, uh, it's like uh, Facebook for beer drinkers. You go on there yeah. and you search a beer. Like if you're at a bar, you have the beer you're drinking and then you look for it and you can see reviews, you can see ratings, you can nice. see who's drinking it near you. What? It's, I'm a beer geek. I brew my own beer. Very um, cool. I love the chemistry of it. I love the tasting of it. I love all about it. And um, so Untapped has been a lot of fun for the last seven years as I travel around as a speaker. Yeah. I can go to different places and... I've met people at bars that were checking in at the same time. I'm like, hey, you're on Untap too, and we get to see each other's profiles. You, they gamify it. You know, you have yeah. badges you can earn. I just hit my 2,500th unique beer check-in. That's very it cool. Took seven years. It's <laughs> not like I did it all in one weekend. Well, I get where you're going with this on making your travel more fun. Yes. When you travel a lot, because honestly. I I love my job once I get there, mm -hmm. <laughs> but the travel part is not, I'm not one of those people that suffers it well. I get very stressed <laughs> out. I get really exhausted. I mean, it's hard. And one year, in order to kind of gamify my travel experience, uh, most airports, the larger ones, have a Brighton jewelry store in them. Interesting. Yes, this is a good tip for those of you that, that need okay. to bring home presents to loved oh, ones. thank you. And I built a charm bracelet one charm that represented wow. the state I was in at a time. And at the end of the, my year, I had a really cool charm bracelet of all my charms of where yeah. I traveled. So I kind of think that's what you're doing with Untapped. That is really cool. Right? Yeah. You're so making that's... it fun to be on the road. Right. And that was it. it to me, it seems uh, we get so caught up in the demands of traveling, the schedule changes. We have the trip, trip Pro. We have Travel Advisor. We have, my friend Tom Webster has Turbulence Forecast because he happens to be where all the turbulence is. Whoa. But, oh, it's if you see a lot where, of turbulence. Where is that? You should just follow. I don't know. It's, I don't want to yeah. know. No, it's, it's, it's funny the number of times he posts in our group and in one of the groups I'm in and it's wherever he's going. Yeah. But um, we can get so caught up in those demands and then the client 
client demands and then the demands of the audience right? that it can be easy to lose ourselves. And yeah. I find that interests make us human and interests make us more interesting. They sure do. So if we're able to tap in even just momentarily to an interest of our own. Uh, so because I didn't want to just promote beer, although Brewery Map is another great app if you want to see the local breweries that are around. Nice. Um, the uh, My friends also talked about walking tours. So it's kind of like Ooh. a really, I never heard of this, but they just go into the app store and they look for local walking tours um, or either Android or Apple. Um, and the, uh, uh, I guess my GPS City, I believe is the app also that has walking tours on it. So they get locally produced walking tours where you can just kind of get out, get some exercise, and get a, a, a lay of the land for where you're Oh, you're I need presenting. that. I need that. I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm very directionally challenged. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but I like to get out and walk. So if I had a tour, if I kind of ha had a path and I knew what to do, mm -hmm. I'd be much more likely to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm always a little afraid to just start wandering on my own because that's not really a great idea for me. Right? Well, right. It's not always safe. But, but the other part is when you're with your audience and then you're able to refer back to Ooh. local areas that they they eat it up. They love that you know the local places that not yes. every speaker knows. Uh, it's like when you go to Kansas City and they say, and, and you forget that it's not in Kansas, it's in Missouri. <laughs> I mean, that's a bad thing as a speaker. Yes, so if is. you kind of get around <laughs> uh, and, and get to know these some of the local off the, off the beaten track things. Another one is um, Google has a, a subsidiary called Niantic. Uh, some geeks may know this for Ingress, the pre-Pokemon Go, Go app uh, that was a virtual reality. You could go around to local areas and level up things. They have a less geeky one called Field Trip. And you Field can just trip. have it on, and wherever you're traveling, you get to uh, see weird things like the road signs you used to see on the highway. Yeah. And it'll just tell you little bits about where you are. Mark, thank you. You're welcome. This has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed learning about your apps, and I can't wait to start following you on some of these and see what you're up to. This can be a magical time of year, a time when our attention focuses to giving. This month, we have some great interviews where some of NSA's best have focused on giving their best to us. Perhaps you too can consider giving, but giving to the NSA Foundation. What better way to share in the prosperity that we enjoy than to give a gift that keeps on giving? So on behalf of Al Walker and the NSA Foundation team, Please visit nsaspeaker.org forward slash about forward slash nsa-foundation and share the holiday spirit with a joyous heart. I have to tell you, I feel like a kid at Christmas. It's not often that I have the honor of sharing an interview with you from a CSP, Hall of Fame recipient, Cavett Award winner, former NSA National President and the former President of the Global Speakers Federation. So listen carefully because Lenora Billings-Harris is giving us this month the gift of her insight, and I know it's already changed my perspective. Now, here's Lenora. Uh, this is Chuck Gallagher with NSA's VOE and talking about Voices of Experience. My guest is Lenora Billings-Harris, past president of NSA, 
past president of the Global Speakers Federation, Lenora, talking about a voice of experience. <laughs> That's awesome. Seems to fit, I guess, by some people's standards, but I'm always a learner. Oh, it fits my mind. And of course, because you've heard it so many times, but Lenora was the president, my first NSA, and I guess no one ever forgets their first NSA National Conference experience. Right. Speaking with soul and substance, and it was awesome. It was. So I have a question because you talk about diversity and inclusion and it would appear in today's world when there's a, a what I'm going to refer to as a heightened level of sensitivity, that there are minefields everywhere that we could inadvertently fall in and not realize we stepped on it. What do we need to know as speakers that will keep us from blowing up in those minefields? Yes. Great question. I actually I get asked that type of question often, not quite that eloquently, but oh, I, aren't do you get, nice? <laughs> I do get asked that question often. And here's the thing. There's a heightened level of sensitivity. There's also a heightened level of empowerment. And so there are folks who think it's okay to say certain things that even 10 or 15 years ago, even five years ago, we would have thought, no, you shouldn't do that. From a speaker perspective, what you always want to consider is if I say this, whatever the this is, whatever the reference is, if I say this, how much of my audience might I lose in that moment? And how might that impact the meeting planner? Will they invite me back or not? So if you think you shouldn't say something, you don't even know, need to go out and test it. Don't go ask somebody who's in that group because they only can speak from their experience. If you're not sure you should say it, don't say it. Just use something else. The additional thing I believe that speakers, that I invite speakers to do more frequently, let's put it that way, is after you have put your presentation together, you've got everything really tight, or at least you think you do. And of course you're going to do spell check for any text, right? And you're going to look at the graphics to make sure they're just in the right place on Prezi or PowerPoint or whatever. Then you need to go back and do a diversity check. And I do mean that seriously. Is go back and look at all of your materials and say, ask yourself, do I have, if I use quotes, do I have quotes from younger people, older people, women, men, people of different ethnicities? Now, I'm not saying you need to use one of each. But just make sure you're not using the same type of quote all the time if you use quotes. So that would be one example. Okay. Because the question I get asked is, well, my topic is not diversity, so why should I care? Well, the thing is, your clients are sensitive to diversity. Actually, they're sensitive to inclusion. They're sensitive to whether or not this speaker is going to reflect our culture or what we aspire to be. And since we're getting paid to be there, we're at risk anyway, or at least the people who bring us in feel that they are at risk. So if we really want to make them happy and also get our message across so that people remember it, then what we can do in that diversity check is to ask ourselves, are we representing that culture? And if you don't know the answer, then find out more about the culture of that client. And generically, just, you know, on a regular basis. I mean, I have, like I presume most of us do, have a list of um, um, graphics 
that are royalty free and all of that that sure. we use, then go look at all those graphics, even if it's not in a program yet. Just go look at them. And do you have men and women? Do you have people in who, are, who use wheelchairs? Do you have somebody that's using a cane? Because with the graphics, it needs to be that visible diversity, even though we know folks have all different kinds of diversity. And again, our clients are expecting that. I'll tell you this, this just happened to me this week. I mean, the presentation was, was earlier this week. When I was doing my research with the client, and you know, many of our clients these days want to see our PowerPoints ahead of time. Absolutely. And many of us as NSA members don't wish to send them out ahead of time. Um, I said, I always ask the question, so why do you need it? You know, what are you looking for? And do you need the PowerPoints or do you just need uh, a PDF? And they said, well, because we need to make sure that uh, if you use videos, for example, and I do use a couple of videos, that um, they have captions because we're, we want to make sure they're closed captions in addition to um, having people who are signing and that kind of thing. So for those videos that, that many of our speakers capture using snippets from movies and what have you, just know that maybe your client isn't expecting it, but if you have it, they know that you are on the top of your game that you are connecting to the relevancy of today, and that sets you apart from other speakers that come in and just do their thing, and they're not doing anything that necessarily reflects the populations that we talk to or talk with um, today. Now, if you're still not sure, then reach out to someone who doesn't know your work and ask them to look, for, look at it and see what's missing. Because sometimes we're so close to our own work, we don't see what's missing. Absolutely. And, and, and I can see that, uh, I think for any of us, if I, if I shared it with someone who is like me, a, a white male baby boomer, uh -huh. and so what do you think? I'm probably going to get the exact same filter back exactly. as opposed to if I shared it with you or if I shared it with a millennial. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to out myself for a second. That might be really dangerous here. <laughs> but in doing a presentation to a group, I said, now, oh my goodness, let's rewind the tape. And you and I understand what, <laughs> what that, that means because, <laughs> you know, we remember 8-track cassette tapes. I remember Young Girl and it clicked during the middle of it. It was like, how would you make the 8-track tape click in the middle of Young Girl? And, and, and most people are like, what is he talking mm -hmm. about? And I looked at some of the folks and I said, okay, now I understand you don't know what tape is. You're thinking of scotch tape. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let me go backwards a bit. Mm -hmm. And I re restated it yes. in a way that they could understand. Yes. But it also said to me, I just dated me, and either I played it well and could have fun with dating me, since I'm clearly a you know white male baby boomer, mm -hmm. or I really need to rethink my phraseology so that I don't ever do that to begin with. Opinion? No, so here's the thing. If you overscript those kinds of things too much, you're now not being authentic. Okay. You need to, for you, you need to do it exactly the way you just described it. Is you, you state the term. Now, the piece that I might take out sure. is instead of making all of the reference of some of you might not know what that is and that kind of thing, millennials, many millennials hate that. A constant reference that they're too young to know certain things. Okay. So make the comment and then, so, so you would say, you know, let's, re, let's rewind that and then say, something else that means rewind, like sure. right after it, so that everybody is is right on board. Connected with, with what, okay. It's, it's kind of, 
what comes to my mind is this, is people get overly anxious when they're talking to a person who's blind, when they say, did you see this? Or do you see what I mean? Well, a blind person gets it that it's just the way that we speak. They're not offended. Right. So don't over script yourself, but, but you do want to be aware and careful about terms that you use that most of the audience may not understand. And the best example that I can share that I have seen happen internationally is American speakers coming over to whatever country we're in and they make sports references and especially if it's about baseball or our football because many other cultures know cricket and what we call soccer. So, and I just happened to hear it on the news this morning, and somebody said, well, when you spike the ball, and I thought, I know what he means, but right. an international audience would have no idea. Interesting. And again, it's because it's so much, uh, so much a part of our lexicon that we may not even realize we're doing it. So that's why you want to get somebody who doesn't know your work and who isn't just like you to watch you or watch your videos and pick out terms and gestures and things like that that you might do that could turn some people off. Now, let me share this though. I know that many people will say, you know, that's just overkill. I am tired of the D word, diversity, and I, and bias. I'm tired of all of that. I just want to do my thing. And certainly you can just go do your thing. I've been in this business for 33 years. Now, of course, my, my focus is diversity and inclusion 24-7. However, I have, seen and I have seen speakers die on the platform, not literally. Um, <laughs> That's good. Um, you know, figuratively <laughs> die on the platform when I'm sitting next to a meeting planner or a speaker bureau agent who then crosses their name off. Somebody they thought they wanted to hire, and they cross their name off because speakers tend to fall into this minefield, as you say it, when they talk off the cuff. So it's not usually from their prepared information, the key, you know, the three points that they want to make. It's some general reference that they make that ends up not being appropriate. And because of the overall environment that we live in, our clients are even more highly sensitive to those things. Again, because they're paying money for us to come in, we are somewhat of a risk if, you know, that puts, that's a risk to their reputation. And they're busy trying to create this inclusive environment. And then you have a speaker where none of their slides reflected the audience members. They weren't using any terms, jargon, that kind of thing of the audience. So there's, there's research that needs to go into it. I, I make a point when people use the term public speaker and they say, well, I'm a public speaker. And especially if they're an NSA member, I will say, if you're an NSA member, you're a professional speaker. And they'll usually look a little puzzled, the people that do that, and say, here's how I differentiate it. Professional speakers really work at not just their story. Now, there are some public speakers who are fabulous and who get paid. But if we are saying we're a professional speaker, that means we're going to take the time to do the research to understand our clients so that we fit like a glove, not pretending that we work you know, in the organization, but that when we go off the stage, 
people are not thinking about the faux pas we just made. They're wondering what it was about Chuck that made me lean in. I just wanted to hear his every word. And the answer to that question is what you did when you do some of these things that I'm describing is you spoke to me because there were very subtle, often nonverbal things that made me know you know me. One other quick thing I want to share because I just happened to see it. Um, our uh, president, and probably by the time the viewers see this, this will be our past president, Brian Walter, came in to briefly welcome and speak to the folks at the Cavett Institute. And he asked a question, and a young man sitting right in the front answered the question. And from, this, from the platform, Brian said, and what's your name? Well, the person happened to be an Asian person. I was far enough away to not be able to hear his name clearly, but it was clearly not an Anglo name. And so at first, what Brian did, because he uses humor well, he said, oh, well, Bob. And he laughed, and so did the audience, because everybody knew that wasn't his name. And then Brian came off the platform, walked over to the, to the gentleman, and said, OK, before I go on, tell me again what your name is and gave direct eye contact. And the young man said his name, and then Brian said it correctly. That's what you're supposed to do, to honor your audience members, to honor those people that may be different than you. But we think, you know, I've seen many speakers do what, he, what Brian did in the beginning, which is just call him something else and laugh about it and move on. But a professional speaker, Brian, did not do that. Lenore, this has been fascinating. It has been a wonderful interview. And so I am thrilled to have you as my guest on VOE. I am thrilled that you were the president when I came into NSA. That makes a, an incredible bond. And again, thank you for the very clear direction that you've given us. It's been awesome. My pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me, Chuck. And now a December VOE special with Joel Block drawing a line to the money. What's the most powerful word in the professional services world? The world of speakers, authors, trainers, coaches, all of us that sell services into companies. There is a powerful word. It's a magical word. I'll get to it in a minute. But I'm going to tell you first what doesn't work. When you go into a client's office and they say, Joel, we have this terrible problem. We aren't sure how to solve the problem. Uh, we have this situation and this situation, and these are all the things that are happening, and these are the outcomes that we're not happy with. Do you know what to do? Here's the wrong answer. Well, I'm not quite sure, but I think I could probably figure this out, so let's give it a try. So let me just tell you, first of all, the word I think is about the worst word you can use, because to me, when you say I think, that pretty much instantly means you're making it up as you go along. Here's the better answer. I know exactly what to do. I've been down this path a hundred times, and this is exactly what we're going to do, step one, two, three, and four. That gives the client confidence, it's power, and it raises your fees because it gives them the confidence to turn the money over to you and make it happen. And that is how you draw a line to the money. And now, Magnetic Marketing with Meredith Oliver. Hello, NSA Nation. Meredith Oliver here for another episode of Magnetic Marketing. And I am joined today with 
the fabulous Tamson Webster. Hey, Meredith. Hey, and she was kind enough to grant me an interview right before she goes on for her keynote this afternoon here at the High Five Conference. And Tamson, I've been talking to other thought leaders and speakers with their ideas on magnetic marketing and really how to get themselves out there, how to get known, how to get booked with their marketing. You have this concept called the red thread. So why don't you tell us about that and how speakers can use that in their marketing? Well, the red thread to me is a, is a, is a concept that comes from the Scandinavians that use it a lot of times. And they use it to describe the thing that makes things make sense. And so in the work that I do with my own speaking, but also with other speakers, it's finding the set of concepts in your idea, in your message, that will make it make the most sense to other people. There are certain pieces of information that we just as humans need to have before we really understand something or we'll change our thinking or behavior about something. And the first is an understanding of what is it that we're going to get as a result. Yeah. So as a speaker, you want to make sure that you have included something about what your audience will get. What goal are you helping the audience achieve? Yes. But as we're thinking about marketing for ourselves as speakers, we want to be thinking about well, what goal are we helping meeting professionals achieve? Yes. What goal are we helping clients achieve? Yeah. Then one of the first places to go next is to say, well, for you as a speaker, what's your take on why the world at large is struggling to achieve that goal? What's the shift in perspective that you bring? Yeah. Because I think that helps people say, ah, all right, we're going from what the world is and where we think we are. And that yeah. allows you as a speaker to say, ah, but there's another perspective that we can take. And the third really important element is what, what, what kind of idea, what, what is the, the concept, the, I like to think of it as an incontrovertible truth that's behind the work that you do, a value, a discovery, a belief that not only ties together everything that you're talking about, but is also something that you can again use as something that helps set you apart with the people you're talking to. All yeah. of that adds up to the change that you represent, either as a speaker on stage or the change that you're asking an audience to make. Marketing is also having maybe, I don't know if best idea is the right word, but a unique idea, a platform upon which you stand, a red thread. Yep. And that concept or preset that you're representing is as much your marketing oh as all of those little tactics that I'm out there trying to teach people to do, right? Absolutely, we need both, I mean, yes. obviously, but I think sometimes it can get so easy to be focusing on those tactics that we actually forget yes. what it is that we're trying to get out there in the first place. Yes. And my experience, so I'm a 20-year marketer, you know, like recovering yeah. marketer, yeah, right? Uh, and I like to say you could take the girl out of marketing, you can't take the marketing out of the girl, and and. You know, I spent so much of my marketing career working with organizations with limited budgets, which is a lot of us speakers as well. Hello. That what I found to be most powerful was to have a message that really resonated. Yes. And that the key to a message that really resonates is to find one that actually resonates really strongly for you. Yes. And to, to stop focusing so much on what you think will be popular or what you think you should be talking about or what you think you should be putting out there about you. And, and listen to what is it that you can't help not put out there yes. about you. Yes. And what I find is it's not that the tactics aren't important, but they, 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 it becomes a lot easier to figure out which ones make sense for you. Yes. And ultimately, if the idea is strong enough, then you get the most powerful tactic working for you of all, which is word of mouth. Word of mouth. I've had the opportunity to see Tamsin on the main stage many times. I've always enjoyed it and gotten a ton out of it. Wicked smart. 
and nice and all of those things combined. Perfect. It's really, really cool. And if you missed her at Winter Conference, you should get the recordings of that because it got rave reviews all over social media. Oh, thanks. So, Thank really you. cool. So, tell everybody how to contact you, how to find out more about you. Sure. Uh, so everything is centralized on TamsinWebster.com, so you can find most things there. And I'm I'm fairly active on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Good news is I'm the only Tamsin Webster in the world. So hey, that's a cool differentiator. Most of my childhood hating my name, and now I'm very it's grateful pretty cool. for it. Yeah, it's pretty so, awesome. Marketing step one: be the only one with that name. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's pretty magnetic, right? Ah. Oh. Well, thank you so much. Oh, thank she you. is literally about to go on stage and slay us all with a keynote. And so she was grateful. I was very grateful you took the oh, time. Oh, my pleasure. It was awesome. Thank you, NSA Nation. I'll be back another episode of Magnetic Marketing. Thank you. Captivating. Yes, that's the word I'd use to describe our next guest on VOE. I heard her not long ago and was captivated by the story she told and the lesson that was contained within. In this month's VOE, Kelly Swanson pulls back the curtain on what has helped her in creating speaking success. Kelly Swanson, you and I were on a showcase together. Yes. And... You had this, this bit that had the room crying. I mean, oh. tears coming <laughs> down our eyes. It was probably some of the funniest stuff I've ever no, seen. Thank you. Everything about you is always a story. And yeah. so I want to go backwards just a little bit. Okay, okay. And if I mess this up, fix it. Because really, it's the question to you. Okay. But at one point in your career, early on, you were a storyteller. Yes. You were not a speaker. No. And no. there is some story about Jeannie Robertson seeing you that changed your oh, experience. Yeah. Tell us about oh, that. Oh, totally. Okay. So, whoa, how long was it ago? 14, 15 years ago, I was a professional storyteller. <laughs> Okay. Yes, there is such a thing. No, you don't get paid very much, but there's a whole world out there of professional storytelling, picture Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon, and there's just a whole community of people who do that. And I just could tell a good story, and for me it was an entertainment thing. So I was trying to find who in the world would, would book me for that. Who, who can we get to pay us? My husband was like, you're really good at this. Let's go find. So I thought I was an entertainer and was trying to find the places to do that, festivals, cruise ships, you know, whatever. And at one of those, Best of Our State Festival in North Carolina, because Jeannie and I are both in North Carolina. Right. Um, I was one of the entertainers, and she was the closing keynote speaker. So she was the big deal. And, but she had come early, and she watched, because as is totally Jeannie style, she sat through mine and watched it and was so gracious. She came up to my table. I'm like, who is this tall, beautiful woman, you know, looking at all my stuff? And she had seen my storytelling, and she loved it, and the characters and the town and everything. And she said... Your story, uh, you, the storytelling thing isn't going to pay, isn't going to work out the way you think it is. <laughs> I mean, she's it's in so many words, that's what she was saying. Right. And she said, you need to be a speaker. I was like, what? I mean, I, I, to be honest, I didn't know any speakers. I was like, you know, was, I was probably one of those, what, people do that? And she said, you need to be a speaker. You need to join NSA. She had me over to her house, 
Um, she answered any question I ever had. I could call her and she'd be walking on stage and I'd go, Jeannie, I don't know how much to charge. I don't know. Jeannie, what do I do? A bureau's calling me. And she was always there and gracious. And, and it's funny because as luck would have it, as we're talking, uh, we were, she and I were on the same flight yesterday or whatever day it was coming to this conference and we had seats right she was going somewhere else we had seats right beside each other oh my goodness so anyway wow. so she introduced me to this world and said repackage it rebrand it you know wrap it a little differently but this is the world where you can actually make a living doing that so the simplicity of this for the people listening on voe is you were a speaker packaged as a storyteller in a sense, in a sense yes, and yes. she recognized that you had the talent to become who you are today, mm -hmm. but were it not for her, you would have just been going down a different, perhaps less profitable path. Oh, no, most definitely. I mean, I don't know where I would have been without NSA. I mean, see, I mean, sorry to just totally go into commercial mode, but I would not have known anything about how to turn this into a business and make, and I mean, this shy kid, that people used to make fun of, that could tell a good story, that still didn't know how I landed on a stage, I never would have imagined that I would call myself a businesswoman, a business owner, that I would that I would make money doing. I mean, it's still kind of hard to believe. It, it, maybe for some speakers it's easy to believe, but for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, people are paying me to do this. You know, often paying me more than the people I'm even speaking to, you know, might make. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a surreal, uh, it's a surreal, feeling uh, for me, I and mean, I wouldn't have been able to do it if NSA didn't teach me how. You have this incredible ability to create a story that has rhythm and rhyme and mm -hmm. it weaves people <laughs> in, well, and how, how did you learn that, or was it in an innate talent? Yes. Both. Great. Both. It was both. <laughs> okay. Um, I had a talent, and it was raw and unpolished. I don't, uh, I just, I've always been a writer. I've, I've, I've used a lot of rhyme. It was always in me, but it just wasn't honed. The craft wasn't honed well. So people could see, you know, I would talk too fast or I would, the story wasn't developed or I would just be at the mercy of my muse instead of learning how to put it together. I mean, I've, over the past, uh, because when you add the years as a storyteller and even, even growing up doing this, I mean, I've spent my whole life doing it. And so it's sort of been a journey from, I'm doing it naturally, how to do it better naturally, now how to do it on purpose on a stage, and then now what are the formulas and the pieces, what am I doing going inside the creative process and unpacking it and figuring out you know, how to teach other people how to do it. It was like, whoa, how do we do this? And um, somewhere in there, I forgot the question you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> you answered the question. Okay, I which do that. Was th yes, think about it. It was was it a natural talent oh, yes. or developed? And, and you're saying it's both. And it's both. It's both. And we see that. And, and I am, a, it's, it's like music to me. Stories are like music. And every note matters, whether you improv or the notes matter. And where you put them, you know, the, the, like the words are, are the notes. And where you put them will change how it makes someone feel. I mean, you can add all these layers and just take them on this beautiful emotional journey. And I am probably the most dramatic example of somebody who labors over every note. And not everybody's going to go to that degree. But I, but I think many of us can get distracted by selling another gig. 
or excuse me, booking. We're supposed to call them bookings. But I think people can get distracted by creating a better postcard, selling a better, uh, you know, making more money, reaching six figures, whatever that is, and get distracted from actually working on the craft. Because I think a lot, a lot of us run the risk of really fading into the scenery if we don't take our craft up to a, I, I mean, and it's going to, I mean, there are a lot of people we forget as speakers, but there are not as many who really make it to the top. And I think those are the ones who are devoted to the craft. If you're sitting there talking with someone, and let's for a moment say they don't have your innate gift. And, and okay. I, I, I hope you'll take this as a positive thing, but I can <laughs> kind of compare you to Elton John. Okay. Oh, now, I love it. I got a pair of pants like his, so I get it. But anyway, yes. <laughs> but you know, yes. you, you know someone has been trained and you yes. know they've practiced and yes. so forth. Yes. So they make it look easy today, yes. but yet you know they put a lot of yes. intention behind right. it because of all that they have done. So if someone is coming today and saying, okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a storyteller, I don't weave rhyme, I, I'm a content deliverer, yes. Yes. how would you suggest they work on honing that craft? Okay, and people will say that. They'll say, Kelly, I can't, they, they, they'll close themselves off to learning more because they see what I do and they think, there's no way I'm, I ever could do, well, not could do it, but would want to do it that way. And I'm like, I get it. I hope you don't. I've got a very weird, untraditional approach to how I do things. I mean, you saw me talk to myself in a mirror. I mean, I'm not sure I've seen anybody do something that weird before. So they come up to me and they're, they almost block themselves off. To answer your question, Chuck, to those who go, well, okay, but I'm not going to do it like that. Or and I'm an IT, uh, you know, I speak about IT, or I'm a financial planner because I speak to people that aren't just speakers. They're trying to get their message out and because I speak about connection and engagement, and they're trying to do it in all kinds of industries, and they're not going to go to the links that we as speakers go to. And here's where I try to get everybody on the same page first, and that is story is not something we do just to entertain. Yes, it is entertaining. Yes, we can make them laugh. Yes, we can tell it in a creative way. And story is a tool. Strategic storytelling is a tool of, to persuade. And go look it up. The, the science has proven that we are not impacted, that people buy based on emotion. Right. Uh, they follow us. They buy into what we're saying based on emotion. So as speakers, we know we have to go not just here, but here. And yet many of us are still speaking we're still giving them the data and the content. And yet, it's being proven that the way that data is wrapped is what has the emotional impact. And that story, story does what data doesn't have the ability to do on its own. And I'm not saying that your content is unnecessary. I'm just saying that if you want to really get deeper and have an emotional persuasive impact, then story is your greatest tool. So to get people to shift, it's very overwhelming and a burden when people think, I need the best story. If I haven't been blown up, if I haven't, you know, if I haven't won anything, that I don't have a great story, they're looking for the best story. And I try to get them to shift and say, you're asking the wrong question. Stop looking for the best story. It's not the best story wins. You know, when we got some pretty good stories, I know we get jealous of each other's stories. It's not the best story wins. It's find the right story and then make it good and make it better. When you, know, when you know that it's a tool to do what you need it to do, then how good you are at it doesn't matter as much. And I've seen, let me give you an example. I have 
very sexy stories, I call them. You know, my chub rub story about the sequin pants rubbing together and it makes everybody fall out. Ethel in the nursing home. I've got stories that from an entertainment aspect are high level. But I have a story about a man that owns a vacuum store and the kid he hires, the millennial. And Chuck, there is nothing fancy about it. There's no rhyme. There's no poetic nature to it. I worked on it. But it's a simple story about a man who owns a vacuum store and learns what the art of, teaches the younger millennial what the art of connection looks like. And that has such a profound, that's one of my most impactful stories because the people in the audience can relate to it. And that's what speakers need to realize is learn to use the tool because what you think is an unsexy story is actually having as much impact, if not more impact, than the one who's got this sizzle story you know, that the, that the whole world wants to hear. Does that make sense? It does. You've said that maybe as a kid you weren't the, you know, the, the most popular kid in school, so you are able to look at the audience and connect with what I'm going to put into terms that some people understand, but the least of these. Yes. And that, and that audience really connects with you because you're not that grand person that they can't imagine they can actually imagine themselves in the stories that you tell. And can I go one step deeper than Please. that? Please. Let me go one step deeper. You're right. They can relate to the story. And everybody's telling us we need to be relatable. We need to be relatable. They can relate to the story on some level. But what story allows us to do when the story's told well and the emotions are included, people don't relate based on plot. We relate based on emotion and feelings. So when I'm able to say I was the picked on kid, I was the pink zebra in the room, I was now all the picked on kids, they're with me. Right. But when I can say I felt invisible, I felt like I wasn't good enough, like I didn't matter, that, that I was the one still sitting at the kids little kids' table when I'm at, you know, at, at a conference. When I start to state the feelings, now more people in the room are becoming involved. Because through a story what we connect with is the human emotion underlying it, which is why I always say, don't just tell me what happened, tell me how it made you feel, because there's where we lock in. Because we, I, um, I heard a woman tell a story of moving from Russia, you know, with two children. Well, I don't know what it's like to live in Russia. I don't know what it's like to move to America. But when she started stating the emotions attached to it, I was like, oh, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to try to, to let your kids down. I know what it feels like to be worried you're not going to meet anybody. And that's, that's the key of it is when you get the stories are relatable, but the emotions are what really relate to you on a, a really base level. And I spend a lot of time thinking about what my people need to feel and need to hear, not just what I want to teach them. Kelly, yeah, being with you is always a joy. Oh, and the, there's, there's, the about you, there Chuck. is something subliminal that happens around you I that just stirs Thank up you. emotion. And it is, and it's an incredible experience and feeling. And I thank Jeannie yeah. for getting you here. And I thank you for your willingness to share with others because you're an inspiration. And somewhere, take it to the bank, you're going to see someone someday that's got some talent, and you're going to say, you know, you need to, and that will be that life-changing experience for them. It'll be the pay it forward. Thank you, Kelly Swanson, for being a guest here on VOE. It's always awesome. Oh, thanks, Chet. Yep. Appreciate it.
Talk about a paradigm shift. I asked Jim Cathcart how he broke into the international market, and he set the record straight. Likewise, Jim is clear on his continued efforts in outbound marketing. So, want to have a business that lasts for decades? Listen to this interview with Jim Cathcart and catch the original song at the end of this interview. And now, Jim Cathcart, CSP, Hall of Fame recipient, and Cavett Award winner. There's a multitude of things I want to talk to you about because you are an icon in NSA, and yet you are, as an icon in NSA, literally traveling the world. You go to China, just like you were describing. You do programs, six-hour programs, and you're a rock star. It's amazing over there. So... So, I, but I did the same thing in Poland. Five thousand people did a, a you know long presentation keynote and uh, rocked it over there, and it was a, a similar experience. But the Chinese are just voracious for knowledge. They are sitting there leaning forward. They're taking notes, and they'll stick with you as long as you're able to share something. They are going to consume it. Let's peel some layers of the onion back. Okay. Okay. You're in the Hall of Fame, you're a Cavett Award winner, you're a CSP. As blessed as a man can be. As blessed as a man can be, and for the past four years you've been going to China. Tell us how you broke into the international market to begin with. That's such a great question, because there is no breaking point to break into the international market, because literally there's no international market. There are clients in the world, and there are potential clients in the world, and some of them don't live here. Okay. And I think that's the best way to think about it. How did I get my international engagements over the years? And I've gone to France and to, you know, Monaco and, and all over creation, Australia and such. How did I get them? All of it was through domestic marketing. It was through doing what speakers do right here in the USA, working on an industry and getting the word out that I, I'm able to bring value. And then someone in that industry said, hey, mate, you ever been to Australia? You know, and, and no, I haven't. And then, well, you should talk to so-and-so. And then the next thing you know, your, your material's in the hands of a decision maker. And if you are respectful of their culture and their, their country and, and um, willing to be flexible on how things work because their systems are different, then you're likely to get an international engagement. Same thing happened in France. The, the, the client from over there was based in Belgium. He came, he, no, he called the United States and said, we're looking for people who can teach the American way to people in Europe. And he said, I've been to the United States. I've been to all these big fancy consulting firms. They've wined and dined me. I came to California. You just treated me like another person who was a potential client, but you didn't try to win me over with money or, or fancy things. We just talked. And he said, I want my people to be like you. So I'd like you to come to Aberdeen, Scotland. I want you to go to uh, Brussels and Antwerp and, and Monaco. And could you do that? <laughs> yeah. And so I, you know, I gushed, uh, tried not to, but uh-huh, uh-huh, I'll do it, yes. And that ended up being six trips to Europe off of that one thing, just being not some you know, hyper-fancy uh, Wall Street-level consultant, but being just the person I am and saying, this is what I teach and this is how it works and this is why it works. And I'd be happy to do that for you. That same client hired me again, like 10 years later and 10 years later. 
And 15 years later, in the last one, I had sent him a Christmas card in response to his Christmas message. And he said, hey, are you still doing your thing? Yeah, absolutely. He said, well, could, would you meet me in Orlando, Florida? I said, well, I live on the other coast. He said, well, I'll fly you, you know, I'll buy your ticket. So I met him in Orlando and got on his private jet, a Citation 10. Oh, nice. Fastest private plane in the, fly, in the sky. And uh, we flew, just the two of us and the captain and uh, co-pilot, to Toulouse, France. I got off the plane, we checked into a hotel, and I spoke at his meeting the next day and spent another day in, in France with them and then flew back home. And that's just one example of many, many, many around the world, you know, where I've gotten there because of what I was doing here, not because I was targeting Austria and finding out who the people were. But that being said, that works too. So if you want to cultivate events in Germany or wherever it happens to be, meet some people there. But remember, it's the successful things you do here that make you worth paying over there. In your world, I know because of the caliber of program that you deliver that you get referral business, repeat and referral business. Yeah. But I also heard, I think, that you do outbound marketing. I do? Oh, well, I'm, duh, <laughs> right? I mean, how could we not, as speakers, do outbound marketing? Because if you just sit home and wait for it to come, you know, it's kind of like waiting for mail and you don't know anybody. It's going to be junk mail and you're going to have to throw it away. Right. Right? So outbound marketing has been my life as a speaker since uh, the 1970s when I first got in the business full time. So, Jim, how has outbound marketing changed from the time you got in the business to what you're doing today? Um, two things have changed. Uh, the phones no longer have dials or wires. Right. But they're still phones. Okay. And it still requires that I call the other person. Okay, uh, and the mail no longer needs an envelope and a stamp. It's digital, but it's still mail. And I still have to send it out personally and find out who the recipients should be and where they are. In other words, the fundamentals have not changed. Only the media, only the tools have changed. And some of the protocols and expectations have changed. Like, uh, you know, people expect before you contact them, you've already been to their website. You've already figured out who they are. When I started in business, it was not at all strange for you to show up on somebody, somebody's front porch or on their phone call and say, Chuck, tell me, tell me a little bit about your business. Do you right. ever use outside speakers? Well, now they, they, they say, what? what? You hadn't been to our website? You didn't look at last year's expo and, and the, the speakers we had on the... Pro what? I don't have time for you. And they'd hang up. So that's what's changed. You know, we've got to be more proactive, do our research in advance, and give them a reason to want to listen to us. Because if, if we don't show that we're already working on their behalf, why would they want to choose us over somebody else? Right. That makes perfect sense. There are a number of people who have years of experience with NSA, like you. Yep. And some, some have said, I'm not sure what the value is today. Gee, it's changed. Yeah. The market has changed. <laughs> and, and we don't necessarily see all of those folks. And, and I'd love to know what your message to them would be here on Voices of Experience. Oh, I love what you just said. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I need NSA today because things have changed. It, well, excuse me. That's the very reason you need NSA. 
Why do you come to influence? Because that's where this profession is happening. If you want to know what the state of the art is in the field of professional speaking and training, this is it. This is where you see on the main platform the AV techniques and the, and the drama and the, and the performance quality and the, you know, all that that is literally state of the art. This is the highest expression of this in our craft at this time in, in history, right? right? And if you're not here, all you're seeing is whatever you happen to encounter at the various engagements you participate in around the country or through web feeds or something like that. But here, you not only see it, you feel it, experience it, and collaborate about it in the hallways afterwards. So, you know, people say, well, the value of NSA is in the hallways. I don't go to the sessions. Excuse me. What happens in the hallways is 90% of discussion of, that was stimulated by what happened in the session. If you didn't go to the session, you're, you're like a, a med student and all of a sudden some guy from the auto shop comes up and joins your med student collaboration. That person didn't get it. Right. Right? So the sessions are what establishes the basis for the rich dialogue about application of that in your life and my life that occurs in the hallways and over dinner. Jim, thank you for your time My and for the, all of the information that is so incredibly valuable to our members here at NSA. We thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you, thank Chuck. You. I appreciate it. In his 20s, he wanted to be Glenn Campbell. In his later years, he actually got to perform with Glenn Campbell. Please welcome Jim Cathcart. Well, I started picking up the guitar and playing a lot more often about five or six years ago, and I've started incorporating it with some of my speaking, but mostly I do it separately as, you know, like a gig at a, at a local nightclub. And Paula and I sing, to, my wife Paula and I sing together, and we've got some friends that join us, and we call the band Resume the Boom. Resume the economic boom, resume the revitalization of the baby boom, and it's The baby boomers are headed toward retirement So many people are letting go They seem to think achievement time is over I'm here to tell them that it's time to grow So resume the boom It's time to call the roll again Resume the boom We'll rock and roll to the very end Resume the boom we still have our dreams, sweetheart. Restart, resume the boom. For way too long, I've been headed toward the exit. For way too long, I've forgotten to be me. For too long now, I've looked for strength from others. When all along, I had the strength in me. So resume the boom. I swear I'll never grow old again. Resume the boom. We'll rock and roll to the very end, resume the boom. We still have our dreams, sweetheart. We still have our dreams, while those without one are in paradise up above. Goal achievement is a thing we really love. We still have our dreams, sweetheart. Growing old takes no effort. It's really easy to swim downstream 
But you were put here to truly make a difference. It all resumes when you begin to dream. So resume the boom. It's time to call the roll again. Resume the boom. We'll rock and roll to the very end. Resume the boom. We still have our dream, sweetheart. I hope you've enjoyed this December's Voices of Experience as much as Meredith and I have had in creating it. As you can tell, we've had Voices of Experience come in many forms, including some not spoken. I'm thankful for all who shared their wisdom and talents. And now as we close out this month, here's one more Voice of Experience, the one and only Mark Lindquist sharing his voice in holiday style. Melikilikimaka is the thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright. The sun will shine by day and all the stars at night. Melikilikimaka is NSA's way to deliver voices of experience to you. Happy Holidays, everyone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.